The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Nash. On today's episode, we're combining two of my favorite things, tech and saving the environment with Josh Walters. He's the co-founder of feedbackapp.ca. It's an app that's reducing food waste in Toronto. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Josh, I'm really excited to learn all about this app because I love apps and I think you're doing a really, really great thing for the community and the environment and for the restaurant industry. Tell us what inspired you to tackle the issue of food waste. Yeah, sure. It was about a year and a half ago. I went for a late night pizza with some friends. We were actually backpacking in Italy at the time. And as uh, we were finishing up, the restaurant owner was closing shop for the night. And he offered us all the pizza he had left because he was going to throw it out once we left. We, being students at the time and on a budget, accepted the pizza and and ate delicious cold pizza for the next couple of days. (laughs) But it really got me thinking that this must happen at restaurants sort of across the entire world every single night where they have this uh, prepared surplus of food. And if no one buys it, they end up throwing it away. And to me, I thought the solution was simpler would be this app that would consolidate end-of-day deals and let people know where they could go to pick up food at a fraction of the normal price, helping the restaurant owner actually generate profit on food that he would otherwise throw away. The consumer or someone like me at the time would be more than happy to pick up food up to, you know, 50% off, and together they would work to reduce food waste. Absolutely. It's so important. And you're right, it must be happening all over the world on an astronomical scale, basically, that people are throwing out their food. And I think restaurants worry that if they give their food away for free, that maybe people will sort of wait around to the end. But that's not really how it works, is it? Yeah, exactly. They're worried about discounting their brand sometimes. Other times it's just that, yeah, people start cannibalizing their normal sales, right, waiting till the end of the day. And also just sort of the perceived effort on their end of doing something to generate this incremental revenue and trying to create a solution when they're already busy with their normal operations. Absolutely. Yeah, restaurants can get really, really busy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. But before we get more into restaurants, did you always care about the environment? Or was that moment in Italy sort of the catalyst that sort of really made you think about these issues on an environmental scale? Yeah, well, I've always cared about the environment. I I studied biology and chemistry in university, actually, and I I learned about global warming and the impact of greenhouse gases on the atmosphere. I just never, it never hit me quite the same way as it did that night when the pizza shop owner was throwing out literally four or five full pizzas just because no one was there to buy them. Mm -hmm. Um, And after that experience, I couldn't help but see it everywhere. Like you walk into the cafe and you see pastries in the window, uh, salad bars in places like uh, Loblaws and Whole Foods, even cold pressed juices, sushi. I, I, I could keep going, but that moment in Italy really sparked the realization of how widespread and 
the sheer magnitude of the issue really was. Malcolm Gladwell calls it the tipping point. So, you know, you see these things all around you and then all of a sudden it's like one big kind of event or something. And then, you know, it's just an onslaught of knowledge and looking into issues. Like you said, you just see it everywhere now that you started to see it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. When I was uh, when I was in university, I remember going through an airport at like two or three in the morning and I saw someone from one of the most famous coffee shops in Canada, uh, throwing out all the Timbits. And it was making this big mountain kind of pile on the garbage. And I went over and said, could I just have those? (laughs) Because I was kind of hungry at like 3 a.m. And the woman was like, no, we can't do that. It's against the policy. And then I kind of thought about it for a second. I thought, because the Timbits had made a mountain, there was like the peak of the mountain definitely didn't touch the garbage. You know, it was clean. And I was like, yeah. what if I just took like the top ones? And she was like, no, absolutely not. It, it is incredible. Yeah. And there was a food donation act passed in Canada that removes liability from a company or anyone donating food if they're donating it with proper intent. And it's actually the policies of these large chains to protect themselves from this perceived liability, um, but they don't really have to abide by that they impose on themselves. So it's interesting to see that. And we've spoken with that chain before, and we actually spoke with the franchise owner who told us his waste management is excellent. He's only throwing out 200 to $300 worth of food every day. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and things are so cheap there. So that's like so much value. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. What kind of liability Um, do you mean? Like, what kind of things Um, are they worried about? So they're worried about donating their food after after hours, and then someone getting sick from eating that food and suing them. But it was just made that day, usually. Yeah, usually it's made that day, and and generally things are made to last. Personally, I would I would buy something and take it home and eat it the next morning. Maybe even so, they wouldn't be responsible for that due to the act that was passed, the food food donor act. I believe it was 1994 when it was passed. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes those places, so in a grocery store, for example, on say the grocery store makes fresh bread, if you actually go and look at the ingredients, it's not just the, you know, four or five ingredients that we would use for bread at home. It's like 10 or 15 ingredients. So they get these big buckets and then put some preservatives in there so that the bucket of stuff will last a long time and then they can like make things from there. So it should have a longer shelf life. Like, how much food is typically being wasted in Canada? Yeah, well, Canada, just recently some news came out about how uh, per capita we're wasting far too much food. I think we, we, we actually waste $31 billion worth of food oh here in Canada, which is pretty wild when you think about it. How much of that is coming from restaurants? About 10% of that comes from restaurants, so still $3 billion worth of food, which is incredible. And one of the the most troubling facts for me, at least, is that 40% of food produced doesn't even make it onto retail shelves. So that's uh, sort of lost in transit or the food wasn't up to retail standards. And so it gets discarded before anyone even has the opportunity to buy it. That's crazy. Where does that happen along the stage of food distribution, like at a warehouse or something? Like if it arrives, you know, from, let's say avocados are coming from Mexico and then is there a distribution center, I guess, that someone would be sorting through that stuff? Yeah, I think it sort of happens incrementally along the way from every level. So it, it, it is produced, like you said, uh, sometimes overseas. And then before it gets shipped to the to the center, it's examined for, there's quality control. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it gets thrown out just for aesthetic reasons, which is, which is also frustrating. 
and then lost in transit, right? These these uh, fruits and veggies, especially fresh produce, are often in transit for a while, and they get spoiled along the way sometimes and have to be discarded. It's really terrible. Absolutely. You know what's interesting? I just met Doug Ford in Belleville. He was here talking about uh, his political campaign, and I asked him, I said, please reconsider your stance on the green belt. And the reason is, I think that we need, obviously, forest space and farmland. But where we are, so from my area in Belleville to your area in Toronto, there's so much viable farmland where we could be growing all of our own vegetables and making our own sauces and, you know, jarring tomatoes and all this stuff. Like we have the best tomatoes in the world, I think, in this area. And there's just so much potential. And we see that in the beer industry that's really been coming back. So people are growing their own hops and their own barley and, you know, restarting this sort of this regeneration of all these things that we've lost. And I think that that would help with food waste as well, because then you don't have that lost in transit sort of thing happening. Yeah, exactly. Less time in transit and, and also fewer touch points in between, you know, farm to uh, grocery shelf or farm to table. And so restaurants are kind of a, a tricky industry. So what kind of problems do restaurants face that are leading to food waste? Yeah, so it's all sorts of things. A lot of it also has to do with the customer's expectations. Like, I, um, I don't know about you, but for me, when I go into a restaurant with friends or with family um, and order dinner, there's usually a pretty um, extensive menu and I never expect the waiter or waitress to tell me that they're out of an item. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you you go to a restaurant and order salmon, for example, they're never really going to tell you, Oh, sorry, we ran out of that tonight. And that's because restaurants never want to disappoint a customer or a guest. And so they over order to ensure that they have enough to feed sort of the maximum capacity possible. And a lot of turnover, we deal mainly with quick service restaurants where people pay before they get their food and generally are busy over the lunch rush. And so what happens is in the back of the house, they start preparing all these sandwiches and wraps and salads in anticipation of the lunch rush so that they can send customers through more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And then after lunch, they also end up throwing out a lot of food. It's not just end of day, it's sort of after the typical rush hours at the restaurant. Exactly. And it's it's tough for restaurants to decide how much they're going to need because I, I worked as a waitress when I was younger and you would get these crazy rushes just one day out of the blue, you know, there's an event yeah. going on or, or, or something. And then even with regular customers, they don't always come at the regular times on regular days. So it's, it's really difficult, I think, for restaurants to plan on how many people are going to come. Yeah, exactly. It's, that, it's sort of understanding the customer traffic is something that we're actively trying to help restaurants with. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be kind of neat to see restaurants that just sort of give you what's seasonal or what's there, but then you're not going to appeal to everyone, right? Like people want choice and people might not like salmon if they're coming to a yeah, restaurant. Yeah, exactly. So. And very quickly, you realize in dealing with restaurants, so we have um, over 200 restaurant partners in Toronto right now. Awesome. Um, that's the only way to create a viable partnership with these restaurants is if you can positively impact their bottom line. Because at the end of the day, they are businesses and they want to act in a more sustainable manner largely. But if it doesn't actually improve business, they're just not interested in taking on a new platform or a new task. 
Absolutely. And it's going to benefit them if they can sell that last piece of salmon or that little bit that's left, even if it's at a discount, it's definitely going to help their bottom line, which is super awesome. So tell me about the app, because I really like it, by the way, like the geolocator is really on point and it's really nice and it's really easy to use. So tell me how it works. Yeah, sure. So the app has two sides, one that faces the restaurant side and one that faces the user. And for the user, you can scroll through a list of restaurants. And these restaurants are all offering time-specific deals. So a lot of our restaurants generally offer a deal after the lunch rush and then again after the dinner rush. And like you mentioned with the customer traffic varying so so much from day to day, mm-hmm. these restaurants can actually update the time of those deals and the discount percentage of those deals to ensure that they drive traffic of feedback users during those lulls in the day mm-hmm. to capitalize on excess food and also excess labor capacity. Because a lot of these restaurants will have their staff sort of sitting around from 2.30 to 5 o'clock waiting for the next rush. Mm-hmm. And so by discounting their prices, a user can scroll through the app and see that, for example, Freshy is 30% off. They can order directly through the app. They show up to the restaurant in that time window and they simply present their receipt to collect uh, their order. So there's no sort of interaction of money at all on, on the user's part? There's no paying in the restaurant. You pay directly through the app. Yeah, which is awesome. So I assume you would hook up like a credit card or something. Yeah, so, exactly. That's so cool. I love that. So you said that there's 200 restaurants on board already. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. And you have some other data as well. So how many users are on the app sort of the last time you checked? Yeah, so we have over 20,000 users in Toronto now. Oh, my goodness. Um, which is quite exciting because obviously the more users we can drive through our platforms, the happier sort of our restaurant owners are, the more food we, food waste we can reduce, and also the more it spreads organically. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really been exciting to see people um, interested in our mission and sort of acting on it. Absolutely. And it would bring new customers to restaurants too that would maybe normally not find those restaurants. So if I used the app and found a restaurant that I loved and then could only go to that restaurant on my lunch break, I'd probably end up paying full price the next time if I love the food. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the things we tell our restaurants and something that we've actually heard back from restaurants, which is great because they see these customers maybe come in for the first time during to get that deal at three o'clock. And like you said, not everyone can eat at three o'clock every day. So they come in the next day because they enjoyed the food and um, everyone's really uh, been excited about that. Totally. It's like samples that you're still paying for, but still getting a really good deal for. So it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It works out so well. And do you keep track of how many meals have been sold as well? Um, not the number of meals sold. Uh, we actually implemented as a reward system for our customers, a meal donation aspect to the app. And I'll just explain that quickly because as soon as we started really digging into the issue of food waste, it was hard not to take notice of the issue surrounding food insecurity. And when so many people don't get enough food each day and you realize how much perfectly good food is being wasted each day, you just feel this really frustrating disconnect between the two. Mm-hmm. And so we thought if we could tie them together through our app, that would be a cool way of sort of tackling both problems at the same time. So as a user, when you make a purchase, a portion of each purchase made through the app actually goes towards donating meals to people in need. 
we do keep track of that directly in the app so you can track sort of the feedback community as a whole, how many meals have been donated, and also personally, how many meals have been donated. So and, do you have the numbers on how many meals have been donated? Yeah, so right now about uh, 2,000 meals have been donated. Wow. And yeah, over 8,000 meals have been sort of rescued. And we consider those to be the, those end-of-day deals. We flag those meals. Those are huge numbers. And your, your app has only been up for a year, is that right? Uh, since October, so about seven months. Oh my goodness, that's so many for that short time. Congratulations, that's so cool. Thank you, thank you. Really that's, excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. What what charities are you working with that would distribute those meals? So right now we're partnered with Second Harvest. Second Harvest. Um, have you heard of Second Harvest before? Just from from your website. Okay, yeah. Well, they're they're an awesome charity. That they're huge, and what they do is they're focused on providing sort of uh, nutritious, fresh ingredients to different uh, agencies and food banks across the city. Mm-hmm. So they have partnerships with like large grocery stores and uh, large chains, and they collect produce. They actually have a huge refrigerated warehouse and, and do a really good job of distributing that food. That's cool. So we have a lot of international listeners, and in Canada, I would say that we don't really have like a starvation problem. We have a nutrient problem, which is mm-hmm. is seen in a lot of other countries as well. So we get a lot of people sort of eating, you know, French fries and chicken nuggets, which will sustain you, but it's not giving you all the vitamins and nutrients and minerals that Absolutely. you need to be healthy. And and we see this in our food banks too, like everybody donates cans and that that is cool because, you know, we can get tomatoes and stuff like that. Yeah. But the the fresh stuff is harder to donate. So that's super cool that they have a refrigeration service or a center, basically, so that they can probably provide those healthy meals. Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons we partnered with them. They're just like, they're really sort of leading that movement of ensuring that everyone gets access to quality food and quality ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I think now that they're really big. They have uh, six refrigerated trucks that go out, I think, every single day to to donate uh, ingredients to these different agencies. So where are they donating it to? Are they sort of shelters? Yeah, exactly. So so they are they distribute to uh, hundreds of shelters across uh, the GTA. Awesome. That's really cool. And you had some facts too on your website about the demographic that's using the app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've it's been interesting. We initially thought the app would be sort of a huge hit with students. Mm-hmm. What we've seen, interestingly, is that uh, our main usership and demographic tend to be young professionals. Mm-hmm. And we think that could be because of the location of our restaurant. It is all pickup right now, and our restaurants are concentrated uh, largely in the downtown core. But as we keep adding restaurants and expanding sort of outside of the downtown core of Toronto, we hope to see that demographic grow into students, young professionals, and hopefully uh, beyond. Absolutely. Are you planning to expand outside of the GTA? Yeah, we are. It's interesting. Part of our strategy is to create a density of restaurants within an area so that when users go on the app, there are options and different time frames and, and food types nearby because <laughs> realistically, everyone is picky about the food they eat and they need those options to get enough value from the app to use it and uh, find value in the app. And so as we expand outside of Toronto, our strategy, I guess, is to sign up, you know, 20, 30, 40 restaurants 
in an area before setting them all live on the app. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, letting letting customers. That's really smart in clusters. And then that way, when users get on the app, it's not like, oh, there's no options right now, which would deter people from using it, right? But if there's always at least a couple options, then, you know, it gets people engaged. That's really, really smart. That's been the strategy so far. And uh, we're hoping to just continue doing that and hopefully expand the sky's the limit. We're hoping that we can expand everywhere as this is a problem that exists everywhere. Absolutely. Have you expanded to other cities already? Uh, no, we haven't expanded just yet. <laughs> we feel that there's just we've just scratched the surface in Toronto, really, and there's still a lot of lessons to learn, sort of on the on the product side, and then also on the on the process side to ensure that as we expand, we're really doing it in the right way. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. That's really good to hear. I think that's a great strategy. Have you noticed when you're partnering with these local restaurants that they are trying to be sustainable in other ways? So for Zero Waste listeners, we're kind of into not serving straws and using our own cutlery and stuff like that. Do you see restaurants sort of getting on board with that sustainability aspect? Yeah, I think um, restaurants are really trying to move towards that. Lots of restaurants are sort of implementing biodegradable takeout packaging uh, and cutlery, which is amazing to see. I still think they could do more. <laughs> Obviously, they always could do, can do more. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to change um, for a lot of these sort of mom and pop shops who have been doing things the same way for so long. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's sort of uh, the responsibility in part to the, to the consumers to choose to support restaurants that are taking those, uh, those steps. Absolutely. And the issue with getting compostable packaging is that it needs to make it into the compost. (laughs) Yeah. And there's the the second hurdle that we have to jump over. Yeah. And do you see many restaurants composting? It's always exciting when a restaurant is, which probably means enough aren't doing it. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, But to be fair, we don't um, usually sort of uh, consult with restaurants above and beyond how they should be using our service. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't done too much on that side of things. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I did an episode on composting in Syracuse in New York, and they mm-hmm. don't do curbside pickup for compost, whereas I was living oh, really? in Gatineau at the time, and we had, we did it there, and we did it in Victoria, and we do it in Belleville. And I thought, well, that's strange, but they do it at like big restaurants and they do it at big like kind of government buildings and you know places with big cafeterias and I thought well maybe that even makes more of a a dent in the the food waste that's going to landfill and then I started thinking like do big businesses do them around Ontario I don't know (laughs) like I I know they do grease uh takeaway that's one thing because I think they they maybe get paid for it I'm not sure how that works Mm -hmm. but are there any yeah yeah. Um, are there any restaurants that you think are kind of leading the way in sustainability in Toronto that you'd kind of like to give a little shout out to? Yeah, absolutely. We've just recently partnered with uh, Cufford and Kim. Have you heard of them? They're sort of a, a small chain. I think they they have uh, definitely more than five restaurants in Toronto now. Is that Comfort and with a C or a K? It's actually Cufford with a K. How do you spell it? It is spelled K-U-P-E-R-T. 
Cuppert and Kim. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so they're an awesome restaurant. They use the uh, biodegradable uh, takeout packaging, and they have very little organic waste. And the waste that they do have, they actually uh, compost. So they're, uh, they definitely deserve a shout-out. They're really leading the way. Oh, that's um, super awesome. In that sense. And they're leading it in a scalable manner that they can not only um, do at one sort of small location where it's easy to manage, but it, it's definitely ingrained in their uh, company culture. And it's really cool to see. Oh, that's really cool. Next time I'm in Toronto, I'll have to look them up and check them out because I love yeah, seeing Yeah, the food's that. delicious. So definitely stop there and, and, and check them out. Nice. Uh, do you have sort of like a vision of the restaurant industry in the future in terms of sustainability and sort of getting more to zero waste? Yeah, so we, we've looked at food waste largely, and we're really trying to collect data around how uh, price points influence uh, consumer behavior. And with that, we think that um, not only will we help sort of restaurants sell food after the rushes, but we can really change the way we look at the restaurant industry and make it more like the flight and hotel industry, where prices constantly fluctuate to meet to meet supply with demand. Um, and for example, uh, a hotel room may list empty rooms on a third-party website for a discount to ensure that they fill up those empty rooms and those rooms don't go to waste. Mm-hmm. And so we have the same idea with food where right now the price is static throughout the entire day and customers quite predictably come in a rush at lunch and at dinner and not much in between. And so if we could match, use price to match supply with demand and keep um, customer traffic steadier throughout the entire day, mm-hmm. we think that that has a lot of power in reducing waste and making ordering product more predictable and really sort of revolutionizing um, how restaurants operate and how they can better reduce food waste. Absolutely. Yeah, those are really good ideas. I also think that if we staggered the workday a little bit, and I don't know how how you could really do this, but it would cut down on traffic so much. Like if we just took some big businesses in certain cities and just said, okay, you you know, you're going to start at seven, you're going to start at nine kind of thing. It would like reduce traffic, which would reduce carbon. And then you would also have those staggered lunchtimes. So it would probably get people in at those kind of different hours. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I don't know how that would yeah. work in terms of business. <laughs> so Yeah, it's, it's always hard to when there are so many moving parts. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so I, I, I really like the app. It's so cool. And I really love tech. And I think that tech is something that can solve a lot of our problems. And obviously, you're using it to solve the issue of food waste, which is super cool. And food insecurity as well. So with those donated meals, that's really great. Um, I wonder if you have any advice for listeners who are sort of entrepreneurs and who want to use tech to solve environmental or social problems like you did? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I honestly, it's, it's hard to feel like I can give advice at this stage because things seem to be moving so quickly and we're still learning so much. But what I would say, I guess, is that if you are passionate about um, a, a problem or anything really, um, you should just go for it and give it your all and uh, don't get distracted and, and really see it through until the end. Early on for us, we were knocking on restaurant doors before we had an app and before we had a product. And restaurant owners are being sold things every day and people are approaching them with ideas. And it was a lot of no's. 
And after speaking with over 100 restaurant owners, we had about 20 that agreed to give us a shot. And as soon as we launched and, and worked with them and tinkered with our product, uh, it finally arrived in a place where, as we started to approach more restaurant owners, the no's became less frequent and we were able to start building a business. And it was, uh, it was all about perseverance and uh, not giving up. Absolutely. That's awesome. And um, yeah, the app is, is really great. So you can go on the app store and get it. It's feedback app. Uh, you can also check out their website. It's feedbackapp.ca. And there's some really good videos that are on there. There's one of a restaurant owner who loves the app. And then there's one that just basically explains how it works. So if you're in the greater Toronto area, the GTA, uh, you can definitely check out their app. Or if you're visiting the city, I think like from anywhere in the world, it would be a great way to get to know some of those little restaurants that are local. So I think that that's just a really good way to explore the city. Um, So yeah, Josh, thank you so much. It's been really enlightening to hear all about this and how you guys are solving these problems. So, um, so thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And best of luck. And I'm sure I'm going to see you in my city soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, Laura. Awesome. Take care, Josh. Bye. Bye. This week on my Countdown to Zero Waste, I made a wild sourdough yeast starter for bread. So instead of using dried yeast, which you can actually get zero waste in Canada at the bulk store, um, I just made it myself. And it's actually turned out to be the best bread that I've ever made. And the only ingredients I need are flour, water, and when I bake it, a little bit of salt. The fun part about the sourdough that I actually learned from a family in Newfoundland is that you don't actually need to keep it in a bag. It stays out fresh for a few days, even when you cut it. If you like our show, you can follow me on Instagram at zero waste countdown. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you have any questions or ideas for the show, you can email me laura at zero waste countdown dot com. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.